Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Tuesday morning to you. If you haven't uh, popped your head outside to the door, it is a chilly one this morning. So if you are going out, uh, wrap up. It just seems so bizarre to have frost and chilly conditions when, you know, we're just days away from the start of May. And according to Mitt Aaron, the cold conditions are going to linger over the coming days. But then as the week goes on, it's going to improve. Uh, we're looking, for example, on Thursday and Friday being the warmest days of uh, the week. Thursday, uh, we're expecting highs of around 17 degrees. And Friday, the temperatures could even go to 18 degrees. So a curve cold days today and tomorrow and then Thursday and Friday it uh, should get better and we'll keep our fingers crossed for the bank holiday weekend ahead. Wouldn't it be nice to get a warm dry sunny weekend. John Paul taking your calls this morning at 0818 103 103 and I'm reading in the papers uh, in all of the papers are covering this story today that the price of electricity in Ireland is the highest in Europe and this is according to new research now. I, I looked at it and said did we really need research to know that our electricity prices are so high. But I was kind of taken aback when I started looking into this research to see that we are the very top of the list and the unit price for electricity in Ireland is almost double the European average. And this is a household energy price index that was commissioned by the Austrian and the Hungarian energy regulators. They wanted to see how are the rest of the European countries faring out and what were households being charged for electricity. They also looked at gas prices. And in Ireland, again, our gas prices are some of the highest as well. But it's the electricity ones that are really standing out for me. The cost of electricity, as we all know, has almost doubled for every household in probably about the last uh, two years. So this household energy price index, they also, when they looked at each individual country, they looked at what governments did to help out householders. And for example, you know, they talk about here in Ireland, the supports from the government worked out at just over a thousand euro, a thousand and seventy one euros. And that's in September of 2021. Now, that figure would have included, you know, the 200 euro energy credits that people got from their electricity bills, the last of which is arriving. You probably if you've had a recent electricity bill, you would have seen there was another 200 euro energy credit. Or if you're due in the coming days, that's the last of the promised ones from the government, the 200 euro. The major study of residential electricity Electricity prices carried out right across European cities. They carried it out in February of this year, and that's where Ireland we came out top, the most expensive of the 33 countries that were surveyed. Now, when you look at a piece of research like this, that is going to heap huge, huge pressure on the government to at least provide the same supports that they gave to householders last winter to at least do the same 
for next uh, winter and they can't turn around and say that they don't have the money because they're only this week talking about they're going to have a surplus this year of 10 billion euro in the public finances so they do have money that they could help out uh, householders. Now the countries who were assessed for electricity costs obviously all of the countries within the European Union but they also included Britain and I don't know why but they also decided to include the Ukraine. The survey uh, found residential electricity prices. Now this also included taxes as well. It varied from the cheapest unit kilowatt hour was in Hungary which was one of the countries that commissioned the report they came out at 9.2 cent per kilowatt an hour that's what you're paying for electricity if you live in Hungary that's at the bottom of the survey compare that to what we're paying here in Ireland I'll take a deep breath when I announce this we paid 49.9 cent so we paid nearly 50 cent a unit per kilowatt compared to less than 10 cent in uh, Hungary. That is incredible. And if you go into the middle of the list of all of the countries, the European average is a 28.3. So we're way above even the European average. Irish energy companies, of course, they haven't cut any of their prices for households. And that's despite what's been a huge drop in wholesale costs. Recently, the Central Statistics Office showed that wholesale electricity prices dropped here by more than 50% in the year to the end of the month. But energy suppliers claim hedging deals that they have entered into. They are saying they bought the wholesale gas which generates electricity when it was higher and therefore they're saying that they cannot possibly pass on any of the lower wholesale costs to consumers. I think that argument is starting to wear a little bit uh, thin when you know you see even the CSO saying the wholesale energy prices are dropping 50% in you know year on year. You know maybe for the first six months they could have said oh look we hedged our prices. I'm still finding it hard to swallow that they're still using that as an excuse. The survey also showed the financial supports, as I say, that were given out per capita for households and for firms to try to help them with the rising uh, uh, costs. And as I mentioned, for Ireland per capita, it worked out at over a thousand euro, a thousand and seventy one euro in Ireland. And while some would say weren't the government generous, it just seems they weren't as generous as other countries were. If we were in Luxembourg per capita, people received €3,732 and the German government, they came out second as the most generous to their people. They gave out €3,179, whereas here in Ireland it was just over €1,000. The survey found residential gas prices in Ireland. Now, we weren't on top of the list, thankfully, for this one, but we were the eighth most expensive of the 28 countries, so we still came out in the top 10. If you're interested in the gas prices, the cost here in February for town gas was 16.1 cent per uh, kilowatt. And that compared to the average, the EU average was 13.1. Now, Dara Cassidy, and we've spoken many times with Dara, he's with the price comparison uh, website, bonkers.ie, and he's somebody who always keeps an eye on uh, prices. He's now looking at these electricity prices. And here we have it in black and white, a survey done right across Europe. We are paying the highest in Europe, he says there needs to be an investigation into why we are the highest, but also why we're so much ahead of the EU average and the difference between what we're paying 
versus what is the lowest what's been paid in Hungary. And he does he did accept that while the war in Ukraine has pushed up prices everywhere, prices here were already very high to begin with. And he said we can't blame taxation for that. He said the tax on energy in Ireland is actually below the EU average. So often when we're comparing prices, you know, certainly when we're comparing prices on petrol and diesel, people will point to the fact, oh, well, we, the government taxes us that can't be said about electricity prices, not when we compare it to other EU countries. He said, when you look at the net price of electricity prices here, they're over 50% above the EU average. Some of the reasons cited for the higher energy costs have you know, always included the fact that we're an island location. There's also obviously our reliance on imported fossil fuels and they also use that we have a dispersed uh, population. So he says these are largely outside of our control. However, Derek Cassidy says the government needs to look at areas within its control, such as planning. He says they also need to look at the operation of the ESB and airgrid because ultimately the government control uh, that. And before deregulation of the energy market, we here in Ireland, we paid some of the cheapest electricity prices in Europe. Derek Cassidy says that means something went wrong over the subsequent decades. When they decided to deregulate, we were told competition would be good, that we were always told competition is good for consumers. And suddenly we went from some of the cheapest electricity prices in Europe to suddenly now we're at the top of uh, the pile. And of course, when it comes to Electric Ireland, there was huge controversy earlier on in the year. And remember, Electric Ireland is the state's biggest electricity uh, supplier and they announced back in February that they were going to be cutting prices to businesses and that was very welcomed by businesses and I think everybody except businesses needed to cut a break but Electric Ireland came out and said oh well we're not passing on any of the savings to householders and Electric Ireland reduced some prices by up to 15% for businesses but it, it said at the time and it's continuing to say no immediate plans to introduce reductions for their consumers and the average cost of electricity now has risen to around €2,000 a year with all suppliers implementing a succession of what was double digit price hikes in the last two years and we are now paying the highest per kilowatt per hour of any other European, uh, any other members of the EU and also including Britain and the UK. And there seems at this stage no sign of it reducing. So if the energy companies don't reduce it, then definitely the government are going to have to look at doing something similar to what they did last winter when we got, was it three 200 euro energy uh, credits and as I say they are already saying that they have a 10 we'll have a 10 billion euro in the public finances so they can't come back and say to people that we don't have the money because certainly no signs of electricity costs reducing. A lot of people not happy uh, to hear that we are paying the highest residential electricity prices including tax even though our tax is some of the lowest. Somebody says Trish I'm just wondering listening to you on about the electricity uh, prices um, just wondering if one of those wind turbines could supply a town or a village with all of its electricity needs and why have the government not put up one in every town to do so rather than paying SSE in Scotland for the supply of electricity. I suppose the problem with wind turbines, the minute you mention wind turbines nobody wants to live near a wind uh, turbine. Someone else says uh, Patricia, well done on highlighting about our electricity rates. Well I'm not really highlighting it, I'm only relaying the results of this Eurostat uh, survey that kind of made me annoyed when I saw the difference between 
how much we're paying compared to even the EU average. But then when you compare it uh, to the lowest amount, we really do seem to be ripped off when it comes to our electricity prices. Michael says, Patricia, that report on the cost of electricity where we're we're the highest, uh, isn't it uh, amazing? Uh, Yet again, though, it failed to point out that our providers' profits are also the highest in the European countries. Uh, What a country. Well, I suppose people can can straight away would realise, Michael, when you're looking at what our energy providers are charging and the fact that they can charge that on average that nearly 50 cent per kilowatt of course the knock on effect is going to be that those companies are making huge profits compared say to the energy providers in Hungary who are charging less than 10 cent a kilowatt they're making nowhere near the profits that our companies are making uh, for sure and Anne says Hi Patricia I find that the gas is higher than the electricity bill I've heard that I don't have gas myself but I certainly have found members that have gas uh, and, elect- and electricity and obviously anyone with gas will tell you the gas prices really are huge. 0818103103 and somebody contacting us from New Zealand uh, to say, hi Patricia, where can I hire a car out because I'm coming home from New Zealand in September and I'm looking to hire a car. Well, if you're any of the airports, certainly you can hire, hire cars. What I'd suggest as well, if you've got family when you say you're coming home, I would suggest this is just a, a tip that came up last year for somebody I know who was travelling home car hire has gone really really expensive it was shockingly expensive last year haven't really looked at it this year but I've I'm nothing to indicate that car hire prices has come down in price um, so you you are in for a bit of a shock if you're going to compare it say to a previous time you returned home to hire a car what I would suggest if you've got I don't know what part of Cork City and County you're coming into if you've got any family members who can check out locally with the garage that might be able to hire a car certainly last Last year, there was better deals from hiring a car locally than, say, going through the car hire companies that the, that are at the airport. I know I'd, I had family members who travelled home from Australia uh, last year. They were here for the bones of a month and it was nearly €10,000 they paid for car hire. It was just crazy. I remember thinking at the time, would you not have been better off buying a small car and taking out insurance? Uh, but I remember we, I think we even looked into that and they couldn't because they didn't have Irish passports or Irish driver's licence. Anyway, um, you'll have no problem hiring a car. There are cars uh, to hire. But again, because last year there was a kind of a shortage on car hire, I'm assuming that sorted itself out. Um, you're coming in September. I would get working on looking at prices now. But chat with family members and see if there's any local garages near you that might be able to uh, do you a deal. Anybody else has got advice for somebody travelling home from New Zealand September 6th to the 26th. So we'll need about 20 day car hire. Anyone else with advice uh, or suggestions there, please share it with us. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. Now, yesterday, the Irish Examiner ran a front page story about 10 year old Leah Ford, who has just missed 100 days of school, and there are no plans in place to allow her to return. Her mum, Michelle Ford, joins me to. Out- 
line this story. No, Michelle has gone missing on us. Okay, uh, I will get um, John Paul to sort out Michelle. And while I'm waiting to get Michelle back up on uh, the line, just to let you know that tomorrow, Wednesday evening, we've got a special Premier League live show on C103.ie with uh, Trevor Welch, powered by Talk Sport. We'll be bringing you coverage tomorrow night of the Manchester City versus Arsenal match. That's at eight o'clock. And this game is being hailed as the Premier League decider. So make sure you join us for live commentary. It's a special Premier League live online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. And that is on tomorrow night, Wednesday on the C103 app or you can go to c103.ie. Fingers crossed, I'm told Michelle Ford joins me. Uh, Good morning, Michelle. Hi Patricia, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for taking time out uh, to join us. I was mentioning about your story and Leah's story making the front page of the Examiner uh, yesterday and just what a gorgeous little girl Leah is. Beautiful, beautiful photographs on the paper. Now, to get the background here, Leah is a registered pupil. Can I just say one thing before we start, please? Yeah. Okay, so it feels strange for me being on the radio at this time on a Tuesday morning because for the last God knows how many years and my nan... Uh, and I'm nearly 40, sorry. My grandmother, Eileen Buckley, has been um, to the Ministry report, report. Yeah. every Tuesday morning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've, um, uh, just before you went live, John Paul says you're not going to believe who Michelle's granny uh, is. The wonderful yeah. Eileen Buckley. She's a great woman, isn't um, she? She was 90 yesterday, actually, and I'd like to wish her a very happy birthday. And we had a huge party two weeks ago and we had a great time. And I'd just like to say that we love you very, very much, Nana, and happy birthday again and hope the celebrations continue for weeks to come. Well done. Happy yeah. birthday. Happy birthday, Eileen. She's a, she's yeah. a wonderful, wonderful uh, woman. And actually, it's, it's coincidental, um, Eileen's birthday and, and another very famous person who shares the same birthday with her is Joanna Reardon, who I know, oh, who I know Eileen knows uh, really well as, as well. So happy birthday to Joanne for yesterday as well. OK, exactly. now back to Leah's story. Leah is a registered pupil at St. Paul's Special School in Montanati. How long has she been going there and when did the education stop? Fill us in on all of that. Okay. So Leah went to school in St. Paul's from the age of five. Um, and pre-COVID, she went to school like any other child. She was collected on the bus every morning and dropped home in the evening and she absolutely loved it. Um, she wore a different bow every every morning because Leah's not Leah without a bow, some kind of bow in her head. Um and all the kids on the bus every morning would be doing an ang over her bow, and they absolutely loved it. Um, so she she got a great kick out of that. Um, then in October 2019, or it could have been a bit earlier actually, Leah was in and out of hospital, hospital continuously with different issues, mainly um, pneumonias, um, and she was could have been in hospital for weeks at a time. She would come home then for a few weeks and she'd be back in CUH again for a few weeks. It was, it was pretty much a vicious circle. And then when news of COVID broke, we were worried that it affected the lungs and Leah's lungs are compromised. Um, so we were afraid to send her to school. So Leah didn't really go to school um, from during COVID. She didn't go to school at all. Um, and in March 2020, Leah just wasn't getting any better so we said that um, we would change her feeding regime because she was on this milk for for 
since she was born, this milk that you get from the chemist. Um, and it would be fed to her tube with a pump. Um, and it was, it, it didn't smell the best. It was awful stuff. Like, even the smell of it gave me nightmares. But I'd swear that's what made Leah sick all the time, you know, because she was regurgitating a bit of it every time and then that would make her sick and that's what caused the pneumonias and that's what caused her to be in and out of hospital all the time. So when, when COVID broke in March 2020, we were all sent home from work. I was at my wrist end. I was trying to mind Leah. I was suctioning her all the time around the clock. Um, I was trying to mind my other daughter. I was trying to work full time from home. I couldn't have any of our Jack and Jill nurses in the house because they worked in the hospital. I, I wasn't letting them into our house to mind Leah in case they brought COVID with them. And um, one day I just absolutely cracked and I said, that's it. You're not getting that milk anymore. I blended a bowl of porridge and I put it down the tube with a syringe and everything was fine. And then for her lunch, I blended soup and brown bread and everything went fine. And then for dinner, I gave her um, juice and everything was fine. And we never looked back. So you changed, you decided to take the chance change her diet to yeah. sort of more normal things. Normal and, yeah. and And did that benefit her? I mean, I'm assuming, did she put on weight, for example? Oh, my God. She gained like a third of her body weight in wow. five months because Leah was skin and bone, skin and bone. Um, she, she, she wasn't, there wasn't a, a pinch of fat in her. And then all of a sudden, she just started piling on the weight. She looked healthier and... Um, she had a bit of reserve in her, you know, mm. in case she ever got sick and she needed to go to hospital. She had that bit of reserve in her. She could afford to be um, a bit sick and maybe be on just um, like for a few days or whatever the case may be. Yeah, because so, she's getting better nutrients into her and, and she's then able to fight anything that, that, that exactly comes away. That, that comes but it's away. this, so it's this feeding regime that then yeah. has caused the problems with the school. Yeah. So then, you know, when we felt confident to send her back to to school, um, we had to get policies updated because it's hard to believe, but Leah's actually the only person currently in St. Paul's. I know it's, it's the blended diet is becoming more popular. Yeah. People are getting more confident because people, the dietitians are starting to stand behind it, but but nobody's really saying, hey, you know, this is the best thing for your child. Every, you know, at the moment. But I know people like in situation like me that have a child like Leah are starting to go down the blended diet route. But anyway, Leah was the first child in St. Paul to um, do this. And we had to get policies updated with the dietitian. And then I had to go into the school last uh, summer, 20, 20, 20, 20, 2022. Yeah, last summer. Yeah, yeah, summer 2022, last summer, to give training to the her teachers and her SNAs how to give the feed. And then Leah was all set to go, and she went off to school then last, last year. And um, after three weeks, the school came back to us, and they said um, that, that Leah couldn't go to school anymore because the union has come forward to say that it wasn't in the teacher's or SNA's job description to feed Leah with a syringe and that it could only be done with a nurse, by a nurse. 
Um, and that's when all this started. So St. Paul's has only one nurse for 90 kids and 50 of them need medical assistance. And the school couldn't commit the time for that nurse and the time required to be there, even though it's very short in time. Like, it's only three times a day by max, kind of 10 minutes. Mm. And, and that they couldn't commit the nurse to give that time to Leah. But had they um, been had they been feeding the milk based diet that she was on? Who the nurses? Or no, in the school. The nurse is it? Yeah, or who was doing it? Oh, sorry, before COVID. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the nurse would do it. She'd start the pump and she'd finish the pump, but that would that would take maybe five minutes. But because um the nurse is so busy, like. She's 50 kids to look after. She doesn't even get a lunch break. and She just know, doesn't I, have the time. No. I, I and, and, bec- and because there isn't yeah. enough nursing staff, that means Leah has to stay at home. Basically, yeah. So I recently learned that that one nurse was sanctioned by the HSC when there was only two classes set up in St. Paul's. And not all of those children would have needed nursing care. Yeah. And now there's 15 classes. They need and more nurses. Still only one nurse. They need they need more nurse. And the SNA wouldn't be, we probably no. would be very capable of doing it. But with all of the course. rules and regulations, I'm not a nurse. yeah, I'm not a nurse. yeah, and uh, that's a good point. My mom is that's a, a good nurse. point. Easily, yeah. Okay, what effect uh, not going to school? What effect is it having? Do you think on Leah? Can you see a change in Leah? I can. Basically, she's been sitting at home for the last school year, staring at the four walls of this house. Um, you know, she has a nurse, a Jack and Jill nurse, thank God. She's four of them, actually, that come in every, whenever they can, basically, like 20 hours a week to um, mind Leah. And a nurse will come in and, and um, be with Leah for a couple of hours a week. And But still, like, that's, an adult, um, and she's still sitting in the station room watching like her favourite movie, Ratatouille. Um, there's, she does, there's nothing interesting about Yeah, Alice her world, her world now is very limited. I mean, like you know, Lee, 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 yeah, that's a, a really good phrase to use. Yeah. I mean, Leo goes to school, it isn't for reading, writing and maths. A lot yeah. of special needs kids go to special schools and it's to do with it's the interaction, it's the meeting with the other children, it's the music therapy, it's the arts therapy, it's the going out on days out. Yeah, exactly. She sure she loved getting on the bus. Her face used to light up every morning when all the kids would be ooing and eyeing over her bow and she'd come home from school with a smile on her face and I'd get lots of pictures from school of her going on walks or, you know, even her birthday parties. She's missing out on her birthday parties, Christmas plays, all the prep for that. She's missing out on everything. And obviously, it is, it, uh, Leah's non-verbal, is she? Yeah, Leah, so, Leah can't. So, yeah, so no. she's no, has she any understanding of what's going on? Mm, you mean as to why she's not going to yeah. school, is it? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, she not understand that. But suddenly the bus was there one day and suddenly the yeah. bus wasn't there anymore. The poor little yeah, thing. exactly, yeah. But I know she understands what, what I'm saying sometimes. Yeah. You can tell. You can tell she understands her face will change or if I if I say something to her, um, you know, that that's happy, she, she her face will light up and she'll smile or the other day I was talking to my mom and I was saying, 
oh, we'll have to brush your hair in a minute now, Leah. And she started whinging. So <laughs> she, I know she understands me. Yeah. yeah. And what, what brings Leah joy in her little life? Leah loves being around people. That's her thing. She loves being around people. She loves watching people. She loves listening to people. She loves, um, she just loves being around people and, and listening and watching and yeah, taking it all in. Take it all in, yeah. Okay, so the the nursing support, is that is that a Department of Education issue or is it a Department of Health HSE issue? That's the thing. So the current nurse is funded by the HSE. So when when Anne Hartnett, the principal in St. Paul's, realised, well, she knew for a long time she needed a nurse and she's been trying her best to get one, but nothing has happened about it and then because of Leah she, she really ramped up the cause to try and get another nurse and the first port of call was the HSE but the HSE sent us to the Department of Education and then the Department of Education sent us back to the HSE and that's the way it's been going non-stop for the last six months Yeah. and in the middle of all of that is a little girl desperate for the school bus to pull up so she can go to school yeah yeah, and, and we're desperate for her to just be happy and stimulated and, you know, enjoy her days instead of just sitting at home in this house, you know? Yeah, it's tough. It, it, and it's and it's tough on all the family, not just on Leah, but I know from, yeah. from a mother and a point of view, watching your child like that and, and you know, watching her regress, it's it's just, it's, it's, it is really, really um, heartbreaking. Um, okay, and and I take it you've you're emailing, you're on to the department. Have you got any local TDs involved? Is anybody able to help push it in any way? Nobody's taking responsibility, to be honest with you. Yeah. Okay, we'll we'll uh, contact contacted everyone and anyone, and um, nobody's taking responsibility. Although I did see an email from Anne, her principal this morning saying that she was talking to Minister, is it? Josepha Madigan. Minister Madigan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's special she, education. Yeah, that she, that she said that um, it falls under Stephen Donnelly or something. So, so it's Department of Health. It's the yeah, HSE. Yeah, OK, yeah. and we'll we'll get an email off to the HSE. I mean, the more that we can send in just to try to keep Leah's name uh, in their minds and um, let's see if something can be done for her. But it's just, it's so, so unfair. It really is. Listen, you look after yourself and um, uh, give your give your Nana a hug from us. Uh, she's she's a mighty woman. And give Leah, she's a gorgeous, gorgeous little girl and you're a great mother. Keep fighting the good fight, um, Michelle, and we'll keep in contact with you. Thanks a million. Okay, God bless. Take care. Bye bye. Uh, Michelle Ford speaking there on behalf of her little 10 year old daughter, Leah, without a school place because they haven't got the nursing support. Now, the CEO of Women's Aid says employers need to look at extra supports for people experiencing domestic uh, violence as an opportunity to uh, retain staff and to destigmatise abuse. It comes as AIB has expanded its support for employees to include 10 days of leave, emergency hotel accommodation for up to five nights and extra security for staff going to and from uh, work. Sarah Benson of uh, Women's Age, who's their CEO, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Sarah. Hi, good morning. Uh, and, and you're welcome. And we'll chat in a moment uh, about exactly what AIB are doing. But remind us of the new legislation around the right to domestic violence leave. 
Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is something that, uh, I mean, on foot of AIB's announcement, it's actually something that's very timely because it's an issue that every employer, large and small, uh, is going to have to give some focus and attention because the Work-Life Balance Bill uh, was enacted uh, just some weeks ago, and one component of that legislation is a statutory entitlement to up to five days paid leave uh, for uh, support with uh, being uh, subjected to domestic abuse. And so that would be over a 12-month period. So that's going to come on a statutory footing when that legislation commences, um, which we expect to happen in the coming months. But what I would say is that Women's Aid have been working with employers now for actually several years, and we have a dedicated employer engagement programme. And the employers we have been working with, both large and small, have uh, wholesale uh, you know, identified that this is a real win-win for employers. It can sound like, you know, yet another thing that employers have to have to do, have to bear the cost of, but actually research uh, and, you know, polling of staff in certain companies shows that it increases uh, staff retention, staff well-being, and it could actually be, you know, life-saving for uh, an employee, uh, which, I mean, what better feeling for an employer in, in that regard in terms of the, their staff welfare Absolutely, and absolutely. And the, the paid part of the leave is important, Sarah. It is very important. And this is actually, the, the legislation has been enacted, but it hasn't commenced yet because Minister Roderick O'Gorman has to set the rate of pay. Um, Women's Aid had advocated with, with a large range of others, including the, the, the Irish Congress of Trades Unions, um, that it should be a full rate of pay and that should have been handled within the legislation. Um, but uh, he has to set uh, regulations and then set the rate of pay. Now, our understanding is from the statements he has given that it will be the full rate of pay. Um, and there's really good reasons for that. Uh, the fact is that uh, economic abuse is one of the most effective components of domestic violence. If somebody is being economically abused, it really constrains their opportunities for leaving, uh, for saving money to, to get out and, and to also uh, financially support themselves and, and children if, if there's children involved. Also, uh, bank accounts can be monitored and so if somebody is being economically abused even taking a day's leave if there's even a fraction of a cut in pay if somebody is being coercively controlled that will be spotted and so that would be a deterrent to the, those most in need actually taking that leave. So it really is there to, to protect the victim of uh, domestic uh, abuse and those days off then uh, Sarah I, I take a part of the idea would be that they would be used to access advice to try to get support in order to get out and get away from the victim. Yes. Well, what we know is, and this legislation has been in place in like New Zealand and Australia for, for, for quite a number of years now. And in fact, New Zealand is, is just moving to increase its statutory paid leave to 20 days from 10. Australia has 10. Um, and it is in place in Italy as well. So we have learning from other countries and we also have learning from companies who have done it off their own bat. And really it is uh, the case that where this leave isn't in place, those who are survivors subjected to domestic abuse, particularly coercive control, may end up taking uh, annual leave days or unpaid leave to try and do things under cover of their work time, like maybe go to court to apply for an order, uh, seek specialist support from the likes of Women's Aid or one of our, our, our colleagues around the country, um, to, uh, to look for new accommodation in some cases. So a, a wide variety of things that don't fall under the remit of things like annual leave or force majeure or sick leave. So this is very much targeted at creating a safe opportunity for somebody to uh, seek uh, action to help them evade uh, a, an abuser. And well done to AIB because they're going even further, aren't they, with what they've announced? 
Yes, and now uh, we, we didn't work directly with AIB on this particular policy. We've worked with AIB in the past on uh, awareness campaigns on financial abuse and we really welcome the fact that uh, a large institution with, you know, uh, over 10,000 uh, staff, or nearly 10,000 staff is taking this step um, and what they have done is what other companies we have worked with have done as well, the likes of Allianz and Vodafone and others. It's not just about the leave, it's about the other supports and the policies that invites somebody to confidentially disclose to uh, a, you know, a, their, their manager, their supervisor, their HR person in confidence who will look at their situation and sometimes the leave isn't what's needed. It may be flexible working hours if somebody maybe is being stalked. It may be to change their internal phone number for the same reason, for example. Um, there's access to counselling through the employee assistance programmes. Uh, AIB have gone even further in terms of providing emergency accommodation. I think that emergency accommodation one is fantastic because, as you know, you outlined earlier economic abuse for some uh, women. They may not even have the money in order to go somewhere to, to go away for a few nights. Yes, and while there are a range of, you know, specialist refuge support services around the country, we do also know that there's not enough. And yeah. in some cases, there may not be one near uh, somebody. And just having a few days uh, away from a dangerous home environment and in that time then being able to maybe gather information on rights and entitlements, look at other options, you know, that's a really welcome uh, support that would be in place. And it's that thing of, it's not um, not all uh, survivors and victims will need all of these things. Some will need some, some may need all. For those who need those most acute uh, supports, that could actually be, as I say, life-saving um, and life-changing because uh, those who are under the most acute course of control at the highest risk are those who will need that. And then for others, it's around compassion because maybe work performance may suffer. And if an employer understands and knows this, they can uh, support somebody recognising that this is something that is being done to them. It's not something that uh, they have control over, but they may be able to assist them, even with information about the Women's Aid National Helpline. Uh, and we act then as the, the gateway to all of the services uh, around the country, including our excellent colleagues uh, across the, the county of Cork, which we can directly connect people to. OK, and this legislation that you, you, you mentioned, Sarah, when is, is that? It's, it's certainly long overdue. When is that due to come in? Well, we don't have a fixed date yet, but the Minister, uh, Minister O'Gorman, did indicate that he will move quickly to set the regulations and the rate of pay, which, as I have said, we very much uh, uh, hope and expect will be at the full rate of pay and thereafter we understand it will commence and Women's Aid will actually be supporting government then uh, to support employers around you know uh, template policies uh, and things like that so that when uh, the law does commence that there will be resources and support uh, and information available for uh, employers of all sizes to make sure that they can do this and do this effectively. Okay, listen, thank you for that, um, Sarah, and uh, continue good work at the great work at Women's Aid, and, and we'll give out the full numbers now for anybody affected. But thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks very much. Good morning to you. That is uh, Sarah Benson, CEO of uh, Women's Aid. And Women's Aid can be contacted on free phone 1-800-341-900. That's 1-800-341-900. And obviously the Women's Aid number is great because they can put you in contact then wherever you're ringing uh, across Cork City and County, they can put you in contact locally. And of course, the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork, and we only had Mary Crilly, uh, co-founder of that on yesterday. They also operate a, a free phone number one 800 
496 and the the West Cork Women Against Violence has a free phone number 1800 203 136 1800 203 136 uh, Our numbers and lines are open at 0818 John Paul's taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp the programme as well I can see a number of texts coming in we'll get to that some of your commentary uh, coming into the programme this morning I mentioned car hire because we had a text in from a listener listening to us in New Zealand who's coming home uh, later on in the summer September time coming home and looking for where's the best way to uh, hire cars some suggestions in one listener says I tend to book my car hire when I book my flights especially if I'm booking through Ryanair or else I go on the travel website supermarket.com and there you can pick up some of the best deals and this listener says it is very cheap at the moment I didn't realise that to hire a car and you can get cars for as little as 20 euro a day don't know now if that's in this country or if that's further afield it's about it's just a bit of uh, guidance for you on the hiring of cars thank you for that Dan said that w- they all always use a company called Great Island Car Rental. They have an office on McCurtain Street in the city centre. Extremely efficient and they're very reasonable. But the best thing is you can actually go in and sit down and chat to somebody face to face. If you don't want to go in, you can ring them over the phone. But he said it's just the fact that it's the personal approach actually speaking to a human being. (laughs) But you can do it online uh, as well. Then the cars are based out in Little Island. Uh, We've been using them for years for people visiting uh, us over the years. Yeah, it was something that I, as I say, came across last year when we were when people were having problems trying to rent cars because they were so expensive. The amount of people who said check with the local, sometimes local garages as well will hire out a car um, and because sometimes the ones at the airport can be very, very expensive indeed. But maybe that was just a glitch last year because there was a shortage of uh, cars. Maybe that has sorted itself out, but there doesn't seem to be a problem with hiring cars this year. So thank you to the people offering advice to our listener in New Zealand. And then a couple of people were on just saying... Wanting to wish good luck, I think, to the Ford family and to Michelle, the mum, who spoke to us about her little daughter, Leah. And it's just heartbreaking to think this little girl, she wants to be in school and she's sitting there. No real concept of why suddenly the school bus isn't coming from her anymore. And, you know, just the way Michelle doing the very best that she can. But the way her Leah's world has become so limited because she can't go out uh, to school and she can't interact with her peers and she can't be around uh, her peers. It it really is um, heartbreaking. Some of your thoughts on that. Alison says that poor, poor little girl. It really isn't right. Something needs to be done about the situation. Summer is is coming up. Is there any private company can get involved and help out that family? And Jim said so sad to hear Michelle talk about her daughter Leah not being able to go to school and, and it's all to do once again with bureaucracy in this country and how an SNA or the teacher is not allowed to do the feeding I suppose Jim says from the HSCs in a medical point of view it's in case something went wrong with the feeding tube and that's the reason that they have to have a qualified uh, nurse but hopefully said Jim they'll able to be able to get employ another nurse for St Paul's school that Leah attends and that would help solve Leah and Michelle's problem and get her back to school and back to school like any other child and bring back a little bit of normality for her. And I thought Michelle outlined, you know, the way when St Paul's special school in Montanati was first set up, there was much less children, especially much less children with very complex needs that would need the care and attention of a nurse. But that school has grown so much. It's the same with a lot of special needs schools over the years 
number of pupils attending special needs schools have grown and yet the resources and what's needed is not put in place. I mean, they'd certainly need more than uh, one uh, nurse at that school with a number of pupils that are there. So let's, as I say, we'll send a, an email off to the HSC just to see if there's anything, if there's any movement at all on this that particular case to get little Leah back to school. 0818103103 and then on electricity prices that I spoke about, this research out showing we are now officially the most expensive country in the EU. We are paying the most per kilowatt for our electricity. Comes as no real surprise when your electricity bill arrives. John says, Patricia, aren't we a great country to charge? Now, John feels that most businesses, some, we won't say most, John, some businesses are out to rob uh, people in everything in, in everything that you do, there's a majority of people who just get greedy and they want to take more and more cash from you. And yet we let the world know that we are a generous uh, company and we are open to one and all. And while that's going on, we are robbing our own and many are being thrown out on the streets. That's from uh, John. And someone has no name on this says, Patricia, no wonder we have the highest energy prices in Ireland uh, because this listener doesn't have any faith in the energy regulator. Also, we've got a Green Minister, Eamon Ryan who is putting tax upon tax on things like a bag of coal on petrol, fuel and diesel. And of course, all those prices are to go up again because there's an increase in carbon tax in June. Minister Ryan won't be happy until we have blackouts across this country. In a few months' time, uh, people are in serious uh, debt to energy uh, companies and the government don't seem to care. Well, the government will say they gave the energy credits to try and help people, but that's not stopping some people still in huge amount of energy uh, debt. And actually, the news, thank you for that. And the news has just broke that... It's no real surprise, I suppose. Uh, President Joe Biden has announced in the last couple of minutes that he is going to seek re-election next year, uh, 2024. I know Barry was saying it was expected this morning. It's come in the last uh, little while, uh, Joe Biden. I think a lot of people were hoping when he was on his visit to Ireland that he might announce it. He didn't, but uh, all the indications were that he's going to go against it. It has been officially announced that Joe Biden is to seek re-election. 0818 and a number of texts and WhatsApps um, about the €200 Euro lump sum that was promised. I think it was announced in January. It's the latest cost of living payment to help those, particularly those who are living on social welfare. And a number of people are asking, is it being paid this week? When has it been paid? Who's getting it, etc.? It is being paid uh, this week. There'll be over a half a million pensioners will get a €200 Euro lump sum when they go to collect their pension uh, this week and it's anyone in receipt of the state pension it includes those whether it's a contributory or non-contributory pension they'll all be receiving €200 Euro. it's an inflation related boost and that will be on top of their weekly pension and of course the old age pension is paid out on a Friday on Thursday of this week there will be a, an, a bonus €200 Euro payment made to people in receipt of carers allowance and carers benefit also about 50000 households who receive a working family payment they'll receive the €200 Euro lump sum payment that also gets paid out on a Thursday and then tomorrow Wednesday and I can see a couple of texts in, including one from Michael in West Cork he's on a disability allowance around 158,000 people in receipt of disability allowance that gets paid out on Wednesdays they'll also be receiving an extra €200 Euro tomorrow this is a once-off package and it's on top of the €2.2 billion 
one soft support which was secured as part of the budget that got announced last uh, October. I think this um, comes in at 100 million I think in total. It's what's going to be paid out across uh, this week. And then anybody listening to us who have uh, families the one parent family allowance uh, they will be receiving uh, the extra payment as well and anyone with um, children there is a one off it's a 100 euro child benefit payment and that will be paid at the end of June so the monthly children's allowance there's an extra bonus in there but that doesn't get paid until June but for all of the other categories that we mentioned they're getting paid across this week when you go to collect whatever pension or social welfare you are on 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls you can text or whatsapp to 0862103103 C103 Jobs Now a range of community employment positions are available in the Fremont, Churchtown, Dromina Tullys, Milford and Liscarroll areas if you'd like more details then you can email Evelyn O'Keefe at dealvalley.ie A site dumper driver with experience please in groundworks is wanted for immediate start in the Carrigaline area. CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com A bar person required for work in Mallow Town notes to work between 15 and 20 hours per week. CVs to wmsheansmallow at gmail.com and the Clonakilty Park Hotel, they've got a vacancy for a Deputy General Manager. Please apply with your email to mcarolyn at clonakiltyparkhotel.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. If your child likes to play video games and what child doesn't, then there are chances that they've encountered a feature called loot boxes to discuss why you need to be aware of them and with a call for online games to ban them. I'm joined by Colm Markey. Colm is MEP from Midlands Northwest. Good morning to you, Colm. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose for those not in the know and those not into video games, you need to start by explaining to us what is a loot box. Well, a loot box is where, let's say, somebody's playing a game and in order to, let's say, move up a level or to get a special shield to protect themselves or whatever, they, they, they buy an extra, like, what they call, basically, a loot. So they buy the loot in the loot box. So they pay for that and that, that gets them up a level in the game or, or gives them extra, you know, an extra capability, if you like. And so of course, that's what a loot box And, is. of course, children who can get so addictive to playing a game, they want to move on to the next level. Well, they want to move on to the next level and then to be putting pressure maybe on their parents to, to uh, you know, urging them to give to, to pay for it or whatever. And that's maybe on a one-off, it's fine. But if that's happening the whole time, then you're you're looking at it's it's putting pressure on parents. It's adding cost to 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 already hard-pressed families, if you like. Yeah, because so it, I think the, the problem is not so much with the children as much as the, the creation of the games where where they create the games in, in a way that encourages, I suppose, on one level, a addiction feeding designs, but also then, out of that, then encouraging children to, to, to want these loot boxes and then they, and that pressure then comes on to the parents. 
Yeah, and is it, that's the point in them that there's a charge for these loot boxes. And I have heard, Colm, of uh, people whose children got access to their uh, credit, card. credit card and ran up huge bills on, on these huge video games. Like, they've been known to run up a bill of even a thousand euros yeah. over a weekend. Like, yeah, yeah. And I suppose that's, that's the safety on the other side of that. Like, if you give if you give the number of the, the credit card to the child, then there's no stopping that and I suppose it feeds into a broader narrative around like a uh, how you manage a uh, gaming online particularly for children and uh, we're actually organizing a webinar in conjunction with a, a parent line and webwise tomorrow where we're looking at sort of tips and tricks about and even signposting people to where they can get advice on how to manage these situations yeah because the big worry here is column that children and some from a very young age are getting addicted to uh, video games, is there already evidence that that is actually on the rise? Well, if you talk to Parent Line, for instance, in the first quarter of this year, calls to them in relation to gaming are up 19%. So that's if you're more or less a fifth. So if you, if you look at that alone, and I think the issue as regards, let's say, post-pandemic, where children were, let's say, locked up in their homes and had little else to do and found themselves gaming a lot at that stage, then maybe got hooked on it. So I think it's probably becoming a bigger issue than it was. And then the nature of how games are constructed is encouraging that. And I think that's one of the issues. If you take, for instance, in Belgium, they've banned loot boxes in Belgium. And it's something that maybe needs to be considered across the whole of Europe. But also, if you like, a more general strategy about what's appropriate and what's not. You know. And I know we're, we're going to have people listening to this who don't have uh, children who are playing these video games saying, is this not parental control? Do parents not need to step up and control the amount of screen time that children use each day? I think controlling the amount of screen time is one element of it, encouraging them maybe when, the, when they are uh, gaming, if you like, to do it in, in, a, in a family setting as opposed to in their own bedroom, let's say, be it in the living room or in the kitchen or somewhere where, where there's a little bit of oversight, particularly for younger children. I think things like that, and then, as you say, limiting time, but there's other signposts to other other ways in which you can manage the, the situation as well. So I think a true parent line and web-wise, I think we can... I suppose I'm a parent myself, you know, and I, I'd like to think I, I, I'd learn something from it as well. I have a parent of a six and a four-year-old, so just conscious of the fact that, they, they, you know, they, they're young and they're, they're interested in getting their hands on the tablet and playing games. And in fairness, a lot of the games are, are developmental as well. So yeah. it's not to take that away. There is so good, yeah, just, yeah, absolutely there is, there there is good. There absolutely is good. And uh, we also we also can't take away from the fact that the gaming industry is, is a valuable contributor to our uh, economy. So how do you strike the balance between, you know, particularly on things like providing jobs and keeping our children safe? There needs to be a balance. Yes, there does need to be a balance. And like, look, at the end of the day, it is an industry. I think there's 500 million spent in Ireland a year on gaming. So that was in 2022. So clearly there's an interest there. But there's two sides to it. There's the, well, three sides, really. There's the gaming, the, the, the commercial end of it. There's the industry that's behind it. But ultimately, most importantly, is that we, we, we manage it, that, that it's good for children, that the, the developmental nature of it is they, they have full access to but equally that the, the concerns there are other concerns as well who, who they might be gaming with like some like some anonymous person that may be online some of the graphics they may be looking at may not be particularly good and then if you like to where people you often worry about let's say blurred realities like where particularly for young children where they, they, they 
they see this as to be the norm. So to have a clear differentiation between when they're gaming and, uh, and everyday life, I suppose, they're two things, you know. Yeah, and I, as I mentioned at the outset, you are MEP for, for Midlands and Northwest. Is this something that you discuss a lot at European level? I mean, I'm assuming, you know, it's not Irish children are unique to getting addicted to video games. This is, you know, this is across the world and across Europe. Well, I think as part of the whole range of, let's say, well, Digital Services Act is probably not just covering, it does cover to some degree elements of this, but there is a, there would be various conversations and various legislation about online in general, because if you like, it's a whole new realm in the last 10, 15 years that is, you know, even like as a parent, as a, as a political representative, you're only getting your head around the, the, the possibilities here and the rain the, and how you manage it. As you said yourself, I think every parent is in the same situation. Mm. It's difficult to know how you balance the development nature of it with the, the concerns over, let's say, the, the financial element of the loot boxes and the exposure to graphics that might be, and particularly the idea of gaming with people that they may not know and like we all know the the concerns we have as regards things like grooming and all that in yeah. the in the in the last number of years. So like to be able to manage those sort of situations. But from from talking to the, the people that know it better, if you like, they feel there's a lot of signposting and tips and tools that people can learn and just good practice that, that families can have in terms of how they how to manage the situation. But like as they say themselves Everyone's on a personal journey as regards this. It's it's how you, it's the relationship you have with your children and 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 how you you work that. And I suppose it's not easy for anybody, but maybe a little bit of fear from people who know is something that could help. You know. Yeah. No one ever said parenting was e- it was easy, Colin. But I I, I do yeah. think your point about um, and this is particularly with the younger children in mind when they are online to make sure that it's in like the sitting room or in the kitchen where you can you know keep an eye on it without them even realising you're keeping an eye, an eye on it particularly that interacting with strangers online and, and with grooming in mind I think that's the thing if you can subtly keep an eye on things and what's going on without being overly intrusive then you can still keep you know then you won't be they'll still have the confidence of the children they won't want to run away and hide and do something that whereas if you if you try to manage it too much you maybe push them into a situation where they um, you know they, they look to do it somewhere hidden away and you don't want that either the other side of all this I was talking to a parent the other day who restricted children from gaming online till they were teenagers mm. and found out when they started at that age they were actually nearly it was twice as difficult they gave up everything else because it became an obsession at that age so maybe it's a bit like anything in moderation early on in a managed situation might be the best way to do it Yeah I remember talking to a caller on air a few years ago about that who tried the very same thing and discovered that the son was just never at home he was over in friend's house constantly playing games in somebody else's house so it's it, it, it is a really really difficult one Tell me about the, the webinar tomorrow and who, who, who's that aimed at uh, Colm? It's really aimed at parents. It's it's at twelve o'clock tomorrow. If you log on to our social media, there's links to to register for it there. But basically, we've Aileen Hickey from Parentline. We've a Jane McGarry. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Virgos from Webboys, and we've Paul Sahi from the Irish Game, Game Makers Association. So basically, we have, if you like, the two perspectives, both the, the webwise and parent line, who are the parents concerned, I suppose, webwise in terms of a bit of steer as to what, what's the appropriate way to manage it, and then the other side of the, of the story from the Irish Game Makers Association, but what they're doing, if you like, uh, to, to make the games appropriate and safe for, for children to be using. So I think what we want to get out of it as much as anything, there's probably a conversation in the background about, let's say, national strategies of that but more importantly it's, it's signposting people and giving people tips and ideas mm. uh, from the like of webwise and parentline in terms of how to approach it because as we said already like everyone every parent finds this it's not simple like and it's something that they they have to to deal with and i think that's that's something that a uh, you know if you have a few tricks or ideas that work well and if you create a an approach to it, it might make it easier. I think that's where the light of Parentline and Webboys would come into play in terms of a little bit of advice around that. Well, yeah, it's like it's as parents um, educate ourselves because, you know, any parent will tell you the child can run rings around them when it comes to internet or anything to do with these gaming. So get, you know, get the knowledge. Get, you know, and that's exactly what Absolutely. this webinar will do. Will, will do. Yeah. And in the meantime, Colm, that loot box where we started out with I'm interested here. You see, say that they've been banned in Belgium. Is is that something you caught? You would like the Irish government to seriously look at? He do a banned in Belgium under gambling legislation. Okay. Uh, the, the fact that it's not a the, the, and it's it's a kind of a grey area whether or not it's actually gambling. If you like, you know, there's no there's no there's no actual material reward. For like for winning, if you know what I mean, there is there's material cost in, in in terms of buying them, but you don't actually go into the bookies and cash in, if you like. Yeah. So therefore, that's where if you like the grey area in in Belgium, it was banned on the base of gambling, but I'm not so sure if it could be 
pay on the basis of gambling elsewhere. And I suppose this is where to find the appropriate mechanism by which they could be managed or, or protocols could be put in place around them. Like I suppose if you look at the, the PEGI rating system, which is very much about content in terms of, let's say, age rating for, for graphics or that, that they, they all fall under that. And if you wonder, could, could loot boxes, for instance, be, be incorporated in that kind of a PEGI kind of rating that they're not appropriate for under a certain age or yeah, whatever. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It, it certainly could be looked at. Listen, uh, Colm, thank you for that and um, thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you very much. Uh, good morning to you. That is MEP Colm Markey, Fine Gael MEP uh, from Midlands uh, Northwest. And actually, coincidentally, uh, we're following on uh, today from last week with uh, Joe Heffernan. We started a piece last week on uh, internet addiction. It was a really interesting chat with uh, Joe, and this is to do with internet addiction from all age groups, not just uh, children, adults as well. So it's kind of a nice uh, piece that we had it today because we'll be following on with that with uh, Joe later on. 0818 103. John Paul is taking your calls. You can text your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. A new market-based family are organising a walk in memory of their son, Connor, and they hope to raise funds for two charities at the same time. Kieran O'Hagan, who is Connor's dad, joins me with all of the details. Good morning to you, Kieran. Hi, Patricia. How are you doing? I'm very well, and, and you're very welcome to the programme. Now, we'll talk about your walk in just a moment, but I suppose, firstly, can, can, you, can we talk a little bit about Connor? Um, he tragically died in, in 2017, the very, very young age of uh, 25. Tell me a little bit about uh, Connor. He was a half twin. Yeah, he, he, was, he was a twin, twin brother, Owen, uh, an older sister, a couple of years older, Louise. Um, <clears throat> and when he, when he was born, uh, we we knew um, very quickly there was um, <clears throat> there was something not quite right, and he was very quickly diagnosed with a, a genetic condition that at the time was known as, as De George syndrome. It's it, it known nowadays more commonly as 22Q11. It, it, it's to do with chromosome 22, uh, a deletion of chromosome 22. Um, <clears throat> And that really manifested itself in a very young age with Connor. He had a number of holes in his heart. He had a cleft palate. Uh, he, he had quite quite a number of problems when he when he, when he was very small. Um, and so he, he he spent an awful lot of time in hospital. And he had repairs to his heart after six seven months. He had open heart surgery, and then he had more surgery the next year on his palate. And another thing, the way it manifested itself was. It would be through uh, certain learning, mild learning difficulties. It's got a huge range. Different people with with the condition, it's a huge range. You know, some people have very severe, severe disabilities, others relatively minor. And, and in Connor's case, it was relatively minor, uh, despite the hole in the heart and all the rest of it. Much of it could be corrected. Um, and you know, he, he went on. He, he, he had a. a a fairly normal childhood after his after all his surgeries. Went, he, he I went, mean, went for example, to, he went to mainstream school, bit of support, but he he went through to a normal school. He, he did well. He, 
initially you didn't. In England, there's a process called statementing. Statementing, and obviously this is a long time ago. It might have all changed now. And so he went to what what we would call a special school right at the start, and 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 they went through a process of, of deciding would he be able to go to mainstream school. And we we really wanted him to go to mainstream school, you know, to be with his to be with his peers or whatever, and to, to grow to grow. Up. In, in that way, and 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 to be fair, they did the statement, and they said, yeah, um, he can go to go to uh, primary school, national school, and he would have a he would have a full time, uh, one time one on one classroom assistant, which was just absolutely brilliant. Okay, so that that all worked well. Went on then into uh, secondary school. What were the teenage years like? Uh, difficult. Okay. Well, one of one of the things that, that we. We we were always aware it, it, there are so many aspects to De George twenty two Q one month so many aspects. But one of the things we were always aware is, is there's a huge, a much higher incidence of um, of mental health issues uh, in, in, in teenage years, um, young adolescents going into, into you know. So so we we, we were always aware of that. But when he first went to secondary school, despite the fact national school he'd gone through without without too many issues, it was identified very quickly in, that, in secondary school that he wasn't able to keep up and that he needed additional help. It took just far too long to get that additional help. It took several years to get that additional help. It was it was just it it, it was a shocking situation really, but. And then by the time he got it, he was well into his teens and, and he didn't want it. He didn't want to be different to his peers. Um, and then, you know, things began to... He, he, he began to change more as a person. He be, be, began to become more more introverted, keeping himself to himself a lot. Um, there was self-harming going on. Different, You know, different, different things like That's that. That's tough. And then he hits 18 and he's technically an adult. That's right, yeah, and and and, and basically, you know, you make, you make decisions, and you 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 know, I made sure that he, he, he had disability allowance sorted straight away. You made sure he had age ID. You made sure, and then he just walked out the door. You know, he had he, he, because of the things you do for him. He had, he had his independence. He had money. Um, he, just, he, he just basically he, he, he walked out the door and. Um, and didn't come back. Uh, and and one of the one of the I suppose more unusual traits of this um, syndrome is this lack of grasp on reality. Mm. Yeah. So he, you know he, he he always believed that tomorrow would be great. You know, and that, and that might be the, the two biggest areas really would be that it would be it would be a rock star. He, he, he loved heavy. He loved his music. He loved heavy metal music. He, you know, he, abs- he absolutely loved it. And he, he, he just believed that that one, even though at the time he couldn't play guitar or or or, or, or sing or whatever, he just always believed he, he would be a rock star. And then the other thing he always believed was that the love of his life was just around the corner. Oh, bless and, his heart. And, you know. And, and if he was if he was busking in the street, he, he learned to play the guitar, you know, and he, he'd sit in the streets rather than beg. He'd play, he'd have his guitar. And and if 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 a young woman came up just to chat to him to be kind or whatever, in Connor's mind, 
you know, she wanted to, to marry him or whatever. Oh, you know, no. that's yeah. obviously is a very extreme example, but yeah. but that you know that literally did happen. Um, you know, things like that happen. So yeah, and 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 really that that in in many respects, I'm delighted that that was the case because if he didn't think tomorrow was always going to be great, he just would have his life would have been utterly miserable because. Every most days were miserable, but he just always thought the next day would be great, you know. So, yeah, and his 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 early adult years, then you know, I, I suppose chaotic is a word he'd probably used to. He became alcohol dependent. Uh, he became yeah. homeless. At, yeah. As a family, Kieran, then were you t- trying to always keep track on him to see that he was okay and that he was looking after himself? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I had a very close relationship with Tom. You know, initially he, he was he was he was living in Cork City, so he, he had various apartments. That he, he very quickly got evicted from the apartments because of the way he, he kept kept them or didn't keep them or whatever. But but I would I would meet him on a regular basis in in, in town. You know, we'd, we'd arrange to meet to, on a regular basis to to either go and see someone play some music or to watch my football team Manchester City or whatever. And so I, I I would be in touch with him with, with him all the time whilst he was in Cork. After a few years, he he, he, he took a couple of beatings in Cork. He, he he was he was badly treated on a number of occasions. And so he, he left Cork. Um, he went across Europe then for a while, didn't he? He did. He did. He, well, he, first of all, he went to Galway, and he, he spent and, he, and 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 really that's why the, the walk is going from Galway because he, he had. What we always recognise is, is the happiest year, happiest year of his adult life. So he spent a year in Galway, and it was a lovely summer that year. And he, and he would be on the streets around Spanish Arch, and you know, drinking with other 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 people that sat drinking during the day or whatever. And he made some friends, but things turned sour there, and he, he went over to England. Uh, spent a very short time uh, seeing his twin brother Owen uh, and, and his mum, and then he, he struck off. He went across France, Belgium, the Netherlands, and and uh, ended up in Germany. Yeah, where, um, where you got calls about him being hospitalised uh, a, a few times, and then yeah. he ended up coming back. Did he came back then to Tullamore in was it twenty sixteen well, or early twenty seventeen? No, so um, basically, I, I, I went to Japan. In all of these countries. Some somebody somewhere would always get in touch with me. You know, one of one of the things about Connor's story is there's, there's there's lots of horrible sides to Connor's story. Lots of people did lots of horrible things to him. Lots of horrible things happened to him. But but there's lots of goodness as well. You know, lots of people who didn't know him managed to get my phone number off him. And I, so I had, I would regularly have phone calls from people in different different countries. You know, saying that they'd met him and they were looking out for him and things like that, which which was was quite amazing, really. But unfortunately, the 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 the, the, the worst one was obviously Germany. He was, he was in intensive care in Germany, and uh, they'd managed to, to. I was in touch. I was always in touch with the guards. If I couldn't find Connor, I would get in touch with the guards, and the guards would make make calls in different places. I don't Interpol or whatever they call, and nearly always. They, they, they track him down, and, and, and then he'd ring him. We'd, we'd talk and all the rest of it. So we were we were always in touch. Yeah. But then that call when he was in Germany and things like that. So 
I arranged with the authorities to, to get emergency passports and things like that. And I, I went over. I went over the next day to Germany and spent time within uh, there that week. And then I came back to get everything organised with the with the, the embassy and, and all the rest of it. And, and then I went back to Germany again and, and brought him back to Cork. Um, and I just took him to my GP because I, I knew on the way home that things things weren't great. You know, he, he was he was he was getting out of breath very quickly. He, I knew he was he was he was in a very poor state of health. So I basically took him to my GP, and my GP said, "I want him. I, I, you need to take him to hospital immediately." Um, so we took him to the Mercy. Or I took him to the Mercy, and um, he, he actually collapsed in a in in. Uh, in the hospital. Oh, so yeah. So yeah. anyway, he was in the mercy for a while, and um, they basically told him, if you don't change your lifestyle, you know, you, you've not got very long to live. He was, so he was in heart failure at this point, and he was going to it meant he was going to be on medication for the rest of his life. But you see, in, in, in his mind, he probably couldn't believe any of that. All he saw no. was the, the stardom no. and the love of his life awaiting around I, the corner. It, exactly. He, he just didn't, not, not for one minute would he believe it. Not for one minute would he believe it. And the only way, Patricia, we were able to, to uh, get him to consider um, changing things, my brother Jeff, who's, who's always brilliant to come, uh, his, his uncle Jeff, obviously, um, Jeff's a singer-songwriter, and, and he had his own setup at home, um, so he, he, he could record for himself, you know. And, 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 and his friends would come round and do recording and things like that. And we got Con to agree that he would stay at Jeff and write all his songs down, and, and if he could stay off the drink and he stayed on his all his medication that Jeff would get a recording out, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd get a, a CD made or whatever. And, and, and that, that, that was the thing that we were able to keep, keep, him, keep him in cork for, for a while. But, you know, he it, 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 it just, it just couldn't hack. Um, that, that it, it, it just, he just needed to be out, he needed to be travelling. He, he always, he never, would never refer to himself as homeless. He always referred to himself as a man of the road. Oh, so, and that's uh, when he went, he took, went off then, and uh, he just, his, you say, his body just couldn't take it anymore, and uh, sadly he passed away. In but he was he was back in uh, in uh, Tullamore. It's it's such a sad story, uh, Kieran. Can you in? Do you now think he's a piece? Yeah, well, I'm not a religious person in any way, shape, or form, uh, Patricia. So I, I, I don't I don't. Uh, I, I don't think along those lines. In all honesty, um, the, oh. way I, the way I don't. Just move, I, just move slightly there with your phone, uh, Connor. It's just the signal is, is just dipping slightly. Okay. Is, is that better? That's now? perfect, Kieran. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, in all honesty, I, I, I don't think along religious lines or acolytes or, or, or anything like that. Well, the way I cope is I, I focus on his younger years. We just always look at his younger years. So on his anniversary of the year, and we just watch the films that Connor loved, ah. the music that he listened to, you know, the shows on TV. We just, and that's what we focus on, really. Remember right? the happy times. 
Exactly. Um, and I just thought that the, the, the last 10 years of his life was so chaotic. So, so awful in many ways. I just, I just don't think about them. Yeah, just, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. And those happy memories, keep those in your heart and, and con. Yeah, uh, he'll always be with you. Tell me about your walk. It's uh, next Monday, Bank Holiday Monday. Who'll walk with you and what route are you taking? Right, so it's actually, it starts on Saturday. So it's a three-day walk. We're doing three, 35 kilometres each day, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I mentioned there Spanish Arts Spanish Arts in Galway City. That's where he would say he had his happiest year of his adult life. So we're walking from Spanish Arts in Galway City, uh, and we're walking to Tullamore Town to the King Tree, where Connie used to sleep underneath the King Tree, the King Oak in the Charleville Estate. And so uh, basically, on the first day, we're walking from Galway through Oranmore to Crockwell onto Loch Ray. And then the second day, we're walking from Loch Ray to Ballinasloe. And then on the last day, we're actually we're getting a lift in the morning to get down to Shannon Harbour. And then we're walking from Shannon Harbour to Tullamore. So basically 35 kilometres each day. That's along the Grand Grand Canal, that, that yeah, exactly. that walk there, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and and yeah. it's a it's a fundraiser. This it's I mean, it's very yeah. much about remembering uh, Connor Kieran, but you also want to raise raise funds. How can people donate? Yeah, well, there's a there's a, a website www.connors-walk.com, and 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 if you also there's a, I donate, I the letter I donate dot ie. You go on that and search Connors Walk. You can you'll find me there. And as you said earlier, it, it's two different charities. It, it's Cork's Iron Community, which everybody listening to this would know. And obviously, that's very relevant to Connors in this whole situation. And then the other one is 22Q11 Island. Uh, and and basically, when you don't when you put your donation into I donate, it automatically splits the donation between between the two. two. Yeah. And and who who are, who's doing the walk with you, Kieran? Uh, yeah, so my wife Anne, Anne wasn't Tom's mum, but she was willing to come in, in the short time she knew him. She was she was always really kind to him. Uh, and and Owen, um, uh, his twin brother. So, so we're, we're we're doing the, the full three days, and then we've got a number of people coming up to a to more on the last day to join us. And I've a friend of mine from Galway who's doing the first the first day with us too. So, um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's just the three of us that are doing the whole thing. Um, I say there's, there's some people at the start, some people at the end as well. Well done. Well, well done. It's such a, it's such a sad, sad story of, of your wonderful uh, son. And it's great that you are keeping his memory uh, alive, uh, Kieran. We wish you good luck uh, with the walk. We hope that the sun is shining. You don't want it too hot. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you want to dry at least. Listen. <laughs> Good luck with it and thanks a million for sharing your story with us this morning. God bless. Uh, bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Kieran uh, O'Hagan, who is uh, based in uh, Newmarket, sharing the uh, chaotic life of his son, uh, Connor God. But don't some families just have it so, so uh, hard? But you can just, how loved was uh, Connor? Uh, may he rest in peace. Let me take a look at some of uh, your calls and comments that have been coming into the programme uh, today. Uh, some reaction to some of the things we've been talking about. Hi, Patricia. I've been awake all night. Just, you know, when you get a bad night's sleep, everything running around in my mind, says this uh, texter. And then I was listening this morning to that 
lovely mum, Michelle, talking about her little daughter, Leah, and how she can't go to school because there isn't enough nursing staff assigned to the special needs school. I'm currently having trouble with the HSE re-dental treatment due to my illness and I've come to the conclusion that Ireland lacks uh, compassion and empathy for uh, people. Oh, I would I would hate to think we, we live in a country that lacks compassion and empathy, but there's just so many waiting lists. We're still trying to do the catch-up from the pandemic that's adding to the waiting list. We've got a massive problem with trying to recruit staff. That's the huge, huge issue. And of course, the knock-on effect of that is is delays and to be waiting around for dental treatment. My heart really does uh, go out to you. And then another listener who finds themselves not in a happy place in Ireland at the moment signed a North Cork uh, listener. I can't understand, says this a texter, why our government are not doing enough to stop all of the price hikes. When will the Irish people stand up and really do something about what going on in this beautiful country of ours. It's no longer a nice place to live, says this texter. It's no wonder our young are seeking work and accommodation in other countries. This country is heading downwards fast. I've nothing against the foreigners who come here to live, but we have too many in this country at the moment, and that's part of the problem. This listener said I had to sell my car and trailer and a few other things after Christmas in order just to pay bills to keep our head above water. But the knock-on effect is now I can't work because I don't have a car. It's an awful way to have to live. I'm Irish and I'm not proud anymore to be Irish, says this uh, texter. If I wasn't married and if I didn't have a family, I'd be gone abroad uh, long ago. Isn't it a sad state of affairs? And that's signed a North Cork uh, listener. And there are a number of young people who are leaving for those very reasons, certainly of uh, accommodation. And I know there's a big, there's a big was, I don't know if it's still ongoing, there was a recruitment fair from Australia trying to encourage our young teachers. And I know they're coming here looking for our nurses and doctors as well and then likewise on the flip side we're going to other countries because we need to get staff to come here to uh, work it's a kind of a bit of a vicious cycle I really do hope things get better for you and you might be able to find work that doesn't require a car 0818103103 and then I mentioned the increases that are going to be paid out this week this is the latest cost of living bonus that has been given to certain people on social welfare the pensioners job seekers, one parent families disability allowance, carers allowance working family payment anyone who's on an illness benefit, I saw a text come in about the illness benefit, you have to be at least 12 months on an illness benefit in order to, if you are then you will qualify for the addition €200 Euro this week. People on job seekers benefit are getting it and uh, both the contributory and non-contributory pension receive it as well. That prompted a listener who will be getting the bonus because this listener is on a disability allowance. As I, Patricia, I met an acquaintance of mine and we were chatting yesterday and he was aware that I was to get the extra €200 Euro social welfare bonus this week because I'm on a disability allowance. And he was saying, sure, aren't you really lucky now getting that extra €200 Euro this week. It isn't my fault that I'm on a disability allowance. I would much rather that I owned my own house and if I was out earning 800, 900 euro a week, like many of peers of my age are, rather than having to live on 220 euro a week, because that's how much it is to live on the disability allowance. Obviously this week there's an extra 200, but it reverts back to 220 next week. People really need to stop and engage their brain 
before they decide to open their mouth you can say something that you might think isn't it great you're getting the extra 200 euro but like it goes back to that what I often say to people walk a mile in my walk a mile in my shoes because I know last week when I mentioned that the bonuses were going to be paid out this week we did get a pleasure of calls in from people saying why is it always people on social welfare what about people that are working uh, etc and you know there's always that divide when one group get a payment and another group uh, doesn't that's why I think when the electricity credit was handed out to everyone even though not everybody agreed that it should be given to everyone because but of course by making it a universal payment and giving it to everyone it meant that the very rich also got it along with people who are barely scraping by and there was the argument if there is this pot of money divided up between everybody but you know the government felt it was the quickest and the fairest way was to give it to all and talking of a universal payment somebody when I mentioned the extra the bonuses that are going out the cost of living bonuses that are being paid out this week somebody said Patricia did I hear you mention the child benefit is there a bonus for child benefit for anybody the monthly children's allowance that I still refer to it as there is but it's not been paid this week The when it got announced at the beginning of the year uh, the government mentioned a lump sum benefit child benefit payment of 100 euro per child and that will be paid in June now I'm assuming it will be paid on the first Tuesday in June which is when child benefit is paid out can't get clarification of that because I did read in one of the papers today that it's scheduled to be paid out at the end of June which that doesn't make sense to me because child benefit gets paid out on the first Tuesday it either goes into your bank account or you physically go to the post office to collect it so I'm assuming that it will be that first Tuesday in June but yes the answer is yes child benefit people who have children who are getting child benefit which is a universal payment everybody's entitled to that it's €100 Euro per child uh, to be paid out in June not to be paid out this week 0818103103 and when I mentioned the universal nature of the electricity credit which is paid out to everyone and the final €200 Euro has been paid at the moment uh, somebody makes a good point on the energy and I had also earlier mentioned that we've discovered from this Eurostat survey that we here in Ireland are paying the highest for electricity right across uh, Europe. So a listener says with energy prices at the highest across Europe, instead of the government giving out the €200 Euro credit to help everybody pay off their electricity would it not be better for them to talk to the energy companies, the ener- same energy companies that are making huge profits and try to persuade them to reduce the cost to all of us Giving handouts only gives the energy companies the opportunity to keep prices high, which is a kind of a good and a valid point, isn't it? Because we get the €200, well, it gets paid off your electricity bill and it goes straight to the company. If there was a better, could they not incentivise the companies instead, which is a pretty valid point because I think people just want everybody wants the price of electricity to come back down somewhere close to where it was rather than having to rely on the government for the 200 euro because even the 200 euros that were paid out for some people it did cover the cost of their bill but for others it was only a fraction of the increases that they saw so yeah I I would have to agree with you it is a fairly valid point indeed Uh, thank you that's just some of your texts and calls uh, coming in and I spotted earlier on today that Angarda Siakona now it's the Gardaí themselves are examining new speed camera technology which would be capable of detecting drivers who are using a mobile phone are are not wearing a safety 
electricity belt. The technology would form part of a planned €100 Euro million spend on new traffic monitoring systems, which would be installed, maintained and operated by a private company. It wouldn't be operated by the Gardaí themselves. Now, it would need, obviously, relevant legislation to be passed by the Oireachtas, but if the legislation was passed, it would mean these new cameras would be capable of detecting if a driver was, for example, using a bus lane illegally, are, it would also be able to detect if they were breaking a traffic light. The new system would replace the contract that's currently in place that the Gardaí have with the private provider GoSafe, you know, who operate the speed vans around the country and the, the speed cameras around the country, around 1,400 of them that are currently dotted around the country. So it would replace those, the speed uh, cameras. And currently the cameras are only capable of monitoring if drivers are obeying or not obeying a speed limit. So these new cameras would have super duper technology on it. They would be able to look out if somebody had a seatbelt on them. They would be able to check and see if somebody was on their mobile phone. And the new camera network uh, could then be expanded to enforce the speed limit by monitoring the time it takes a, a vehicle to travel a certain distance. Now, that's a similar system that operates around the world. It's already operating in Dublin's port tunnel. It means drivers can be caught speeding even if they are obeying the speed limit when they're passing the camera. The idea is you pass the camera at a certain speed and then you pass another camera at the end of the port tunnel. And for you to get from A to B, you must have been speeding if you get there in, in a quicker uh, set of time so then they can detect that you have been speeding and that's working quite well in Dublin Port Tunnel so they're talking about that they could put in things like that. Now details of the Garda requirements are contained in a tendering document which was published over the weekend and the Garda say they're seeking to learn about opportunities for emerging technologies and the innovation that's out there before issuing any formal request for a, a tender but the contract then if it goes ahead it would last for six years and the estimated cost would be 100 million euro seatbelt and mobile phone detection systems what they do is they use artificial intelligence to analyse the images and they determine them if the driver is actually using a handheld device is actually on the phone or if they're failing to wear their uh, seatbelts. I wonder what people would think of that. Would it make our road safer? I mean, anything I think that would would make our road safer. But is it is it the fact that it's using artificial intelligence as for and against artificial intelligence? It is very much a little bit like Big Brother is watching you. But certainly if you knew that there was cameras dotted around the place that could pick up if you had your safety belt on, if you were on the phone, I tell you, it would deter everyone from using the phone and it certainly would make sure that everybody uh, buckles up Um, and actually anything that can make our roads uh, safer has got to be welcomed but I'm wondering with these cameras would they also and I still can't understand why we can't be picking up on uninsured drivers on our road and you probably heard Barry talking about it on the news uh, today that all of us as motorists were paying up to €175 in our insurance premiums and that's what we've paid over the last five years and this is to cover the cost of compensating victims of traffic accidents which are caused by uninsured drivers. The figures are out from between uh, 2018 up to last year, 2022. And there was close on 14,500 cases were submitted for accidents which were caused by people 
who simply were driving without insurance. And of course, it's the Motor Insurance Bureau of uh, Ireland. They're the ones who pay it out. And they say when they look at the amount of claims and the amount that was paid out, the breakdown is anywhere between €150 and €175 is what it's typically costing on a motor insurance uh, policy. Now, the Bureau is, of course, a not-for-profit organisation. It was established to compensate victims of road traffic accidents which are caused by uninsured drivers are also, of course, uh, hit and runs if it's an unidentified vehicle. And it's only right and proper that if you're involved in an accident and the other person isn't insured or the other person drives away and you're never able to identify the other person, it is only right and proper that you are compensated. But the knock-on effect is everybody who is paying an insurance premium is paying for that. Do we need to somehow look at trying to get to these uninsured uh, drivers? Uh, the the Bureau is funded from a levy on, on motor insurance and that's obviously the levy is passed on to all of us, our policyholders. Last month, the Bureau published research showing there was almost 188,000 uninsured private vehicles in on Irish roads last year. Like that is a huge amount. While we're looking at ten and a half thousand were involved in accidents, hundred and eighty eight thousand. And it said that the Republic may now have the highest level of uninsured vehicles within the EU. God, we're topping another poll that we don't want to be topping. The Bureau has predicted with the way things are going that the number of uninsured vehicles on the road could pass 200,000 in the next year to 18 months unless they say significant action is not taken. Now what do the Bureau want? They want an urgent enactment and full implementation of legislation that gives greater powers to Gardaí in order to identify uninsured vehicles. Now, the legislation seemingly is there. It's known as the Road Traffic and Roads Bill 2021, but it's yet to advance through the Oireachtas before it can become law. The Motor Insurance Bureau of Ireland's executive, David Fitzgerald, said that the five-year figures show that the number of claims dropped over the course of the pandemic Obviously, there was fewer vehicles on the road and therefore fewer uninsured vehicles on the road. But then that changed last year when the number of claims related to uninsured and untraced drivers grew significantly. I think it went up something like 17% year on year. And the reality is that all of us law-abiding motorists, we are all bearing the cost of these accidents. We effectively have to subsidise the claims every time we renew a motor insurance. So if there is a law there that could help the Gardaí in order to identify the uninsured vehicles, then surely that is the way uh, it should be going. 0818 103 103. John Paul, taking your calls. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. We have bingo in Shambhali Moor Community Centre. That's on tonight at 8. They've got a jackpot of 1,000. 450 euro. The North Cork Dementia Alliance are holding a brain information evening in the City Hall tonight between 7pm and 9pm. The guest speaker will be Dr Sabina Brennan who is a health psychologist and neuroscientist. Now tickets are free for prior registration is necessary. You can call 021 49 28 
Shambhalimore Community Development Group will hold an energy information night tomorrow, Wednesday from 8pm to 9.30 in the community centre. Information will be available on energy use in your home, grants, energy savings and upgrades and all are very welcome. And an information meeting for wellbeing will be held in Gert Wirra Hall in Ballinine on Thursday night at 8 o'clock. Guests, there will be guest speakers on the night and the admission is free. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at C103.ie. Can you talk to me? Cork today on C103. I want to mention that the lump sum payment offset the increase in the cost of living that's been paid out to certain people on social welfare this week including pensioners both contributory and non-contributory JJ says my wife and I both have pensions do both of us qualify for the cost of living bonus I know this came up uh, before and the only answer I could find if you both qualified for it before I mean for example when you get the Christmas bonus do you both qualify for it if you both qualified for it before then I would say yes but if it's a one-off bonus that you get for say like with the Christmas bonus then I would say no it's going to be just the one I am an old age pensioner and I'm glad to be getting the 200 extra this week says another texter I've no problem with people on genuine disability or with a genuine disability getting the extra 200 euro but people who are able to work and simply won't should not be getting this 200 euro bonus and believe me says this texter there are plenty of them we all know some of them I could name a relative which obviously the person is not going to do I could name a relative uh, one of my own who could be out at work and isn't out at uh, work somebody else is asking are people on job seekers they are job seekers allowance there's 60,000 of those uh, they're getting it and people on job seekers benefit there's 15,000 people questioning why anyone is out of work and there are some people scamming the system not all not all before people uh, jump down that Texter's throat, but everybody knows of somebody that they feel is scamming at the system. 0818103103. Bill is in Clonakilty, and this is on our energy costs and the fact that we're paying the highest amount in all of Europe for our electricity. 300 million euro of a dividend is going to be paid from the ESB group to the government. Why can't the money put all that money aside and then pay it out to people until the crisis is over? Give everyone, say, 50, 100 euro or 200 euro of people's electricity bills. At the end of the day, it's money the taxpayers have paid. The taxpayer are buying the electricity and therefore the, and, and ultimately the taxpayer has a share in the ESB group. Uh, group they do and I know what you're talking about is a piece that came out earlier this week I think it was Monday was it or was it across the weekend I saw it or late last week anyway it's to do with, it was the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, uh, Pascal O'Donoghue, uh, was discussing the in the increased government dividend that w- will come from ESB profits um, for last year, for 2022. And they're actually in line with uh, 2019 after the energy company announced a soaring operating profit last year of £847 million. Now that's their operating profit. So out of that, the government dividend has increased to 
more than 300 million uh, euro. Now Pascal Donoghue says we have made clear from the start that we don't want to see any state or private entity enjoying a higher level of profitability purely due to higher pricing that is having such a serious effect on households and businesses and he says the government is in the process of course of implementing measures for consumers that will take us up to the budget. He said to Pascal Donoghue said the government then will be able to decide to do with what they would do with the dividend alongside proceeds from any windfall taxes on the energy uh, sector. Uh, So they're going to take that money and cap it and try to use it as best they can to help out out people who are uh, struggling. So I think, Bill, what you're saying is kind of what you're saying is exactly what they are hoping to do but only time will tell as to how much will be handed back out to people. 0818 103 103 Let's take a break and we are back chatting with Joe Heffernan after these. Court today on C103 With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm life and health insurance cmig.ie You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And just a quick catch up on some texts when I mentioned uninsured drivers adding €175 to all of our premiums because of the amount of uninsured drivers on uh, the road. And uh, and, um, we were talking about technology that the Gardaí have and why don't they have technology that can find uninsured drivers. Dennis in Oxford uh, said in the UK, most police cars are equipped with ANPR system, which is an automatic number plate recognition. So the system automatically alerts the police driver to all of the information and whether somebody is has got tax and uh, insurance. And I know we were looking at that. I thought it came in last year, that automatic number plate recognition technology, um, because it's been used by the Gardaí for, has they have been using it in the past. I don't know if it's in every single car or not, but certainly, uh, Dennis in Oxford, it is something we've been talking about in this country for quite some time. Uh, good to have you along today. And thank you to somebody who says, Patricia, I'm sitting here in the sun and listening Listening to the cuckoo in the Gira near McCroom. It is beautiful. Oh, you paint a lovely, lovely picture. Uh, Joe Heffernan joins me. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Hello, Patricia. And that's the right thing to do. If you get any bit of sunshine, get out and enjoy it and get out in the fresh air. It's, it's, Absolutely. it's so good for your mental health, isn't it? Yeah. We put out a couple of chairs now the other day and, um, you know, <laughs> for the bits we got, we enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it's really important. Now, mm. we're picking up on where we left off last week mm. when we started a really interesting piece on uh, internet uh, addiction and how we all of us really need to stop and take a look at how much time we spend on our screens, be it on a computer, on our phones, on our tablets. And I don't know if you were listening to us uh, earlier this morning. I had... Um, a gentleman by the name of Colin Markey. He's the MEP for Midlands Northwest, and he's bringing up about the gaming world for children and the fear of children getting addicted at a very young age to these video games. Yeah, I mean, there is. Um, it's become quite um, well known now, um, uh, gaming addiction. Um, and people are being treated in various rehabs. Um, um, I, uh, USA here and etc. For gaming addiction, um, and it's named as that. Like it's called problem game gaming, and between 2017 and 2021, um, there uh, 14 people have been treated here um, for gaming uh, problem gaming, 
and uh, all cases were male, and almost half uh, of the patients were under 18. Um, uh, for those 18 or over, I'm reading it here, the median age was 31, and Professor Colin O'Gara says it's the tip of the iceberg because um, the figures for people presenting for problem gaming tallies with gambling where just 1 in 10 are attending for treatment and 90% are not. So his sense would be that it would um, be the same situation with internet gaming. Yeah, and I know when I was talking with um, the, the MEP, Colin Markey, he was saying this, they're doing a webinar tomorrow and uh, Parent Line, who we've spoken with before in the programme, uh, they're going to be part of this webinar because they've seen, I think the, the stat he used was a 17% increase in the first three months of this year from parents ringing Parent Line because they're so concerned about the amount of time that the young people are spending online. So some parents yeah. almost feel they've, they've, you know, they can't stop their children spending all of this time online. Well, we, we read out some figures last week that were startling. I mean, um, six was the average number of hours spent by Irish people on phones each day. Mm. Um, you know, 50% have said they stay awake later than planned because they're on the phones. Um and a third of people check their mobile phone at least 50 times a day. Now, that was research that was reliable. I mean, it's amazing. And then I was telling you were telling me that, 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 that your, um, you know, uh, notification or whatever the word is um, said that you had spent 52 minutes. Mm. I had said that actually mine was 51. I was relieved when you said that that included yeah. sending a text or making a call. And then you were saying that uh, some young lady said to you, ah, that's nothing, and showed you eight hours. Yeah, yeah. You talk to any young person uh, when they get that notification. Actually, a lot of young people have it switched off because they don't want it to be highlighted. So we've got some questions that people can just, you know, these kind of little questionnaires, just you need to stop and, and think are they relevant to you and and, and if so, what, what you can change? These are um, kind of questions that to, to stop and think about how long you spend yeah, online. Yeah, they might indicate yeah. um, an internet, internet addiction. And when we say internet now, um, we're kind of including phone use. Um, yeah, right across um, the board, whether yeah, it's gaming on yeah. a computer, whether it's on a tablet, whether it's on your mobile phone, it's right across the board. Yeah. Like, one of the things would be, like, you know, do you find that you stay online longer than you intended? Um, how often do others in your life complain to you about the amount of time you spend online? And uh, how often do you find yourself anticipating when you will go online again? And then we had um, intended to say that some of the characteristics of Internet addiction are, and we'll go through them, um, there are eight of them here. Okay. Um, some of them might repeat uh, the, the, the ones mentioned there. But anyway, number one, the person can be preoccupied with the Internet, thinks about previous online activity and or anticipates the next online session. So a person now can have a listen to this and if they're ticking many, many, many of the boxes, they might say, Maybe I should have a think about this. So, number two, needs to use the Internet with increasing amounts of time 
in order to achieve satisfaction. Right. Three, has made unsuccessful efforts to control, cut back, or stop internet use. Four, has stayed online longer than originally intended. The five minutes flight becomes an hour. Anyway. Um, five, is restless, moody, depressed, or irritable when attempting to cut down or stop internet use, which is kind of typical withdrawal. Yeah. Six, has jeopardized or risked the loss of a significant relationship, job, or educational um, career, um, or any career opportunity because of time being spent on the internet. I suppose, like, not getting things done that need to be done. Seven, has lied to family members, therapists, or others to conceal the extent of involvement with the internet. And number eight, uses the internet as a way of escaping from problems or relieving, um, say, a down mood, um, say, feelings of guilt or anxiety or depression. Yeah. And um, I suppose all addictions, Patricia, are um, forms um, that don't work, but are forms of escape yeah. from the, and look, you know. Let's, and, and I know we mentioned this last week, the internet is an absolutely wonderful tool and it was a great invention and, and we'll never take, take away from that. But what we're talking about are people who just can't get away from it. And only last week I was interviewing, you know, the comedian Tommy Tiernan. And uh, he oh, was yeah. he was talking about his his new show that he's he's bringing to the marquee in Cork. It's a mobile phone free gig, and what you do is if you go along to it, and he's been doing it since the start of the year, since January. When you go to a Tommy Tiernan show, you're handed this. It's a bag. It's a, their Faraday bag. Is if you Google Faraday bag, you'll you'll see what they are. It's a little bag pouch. You put your mobile phone into it, and then the top of it locks. Um, and it just means your phone can't receive any signal. So you go watch the show and then at the end of the show, the security people, it's a magnetised thing and then they unlock it and you, and you get your phone back. But I was reading um, a review of somebody who went along to one of Tommy's shows and wasn't aware that it was mobile phone free and had to hand in, put the phone into the bag and you keep the phone with you. And she said that it was great. She said she really enjoyed the show, you know, not having the phone, but she couldn't get over watching other people and they they were, without even realising it, they were, went to check their phone and then realised, oh no, I can't check my phone because I can't open the bag. Mm. It was almost a subconscious thing. And you think, you know, when you go to something like that, you don't need your phone with you. No, but, indeed. But they become part who, of us almost. Yeah. And it's an annoyance for everyone else if you do. Yeah, and somebody's talking about rows in households. Constantly having a row with my husband, says this texter over the internet, over his use on his mobile uh, phone. Yeah. It just leads to rows, so I, I've stopped going on about it. Well, there's an interesting quote there from Professor Colin O'Gara once again um, about like treatment. Um, uh, no, he'd be uh, St. John of God's. Um, and they have a phone policy for those withdrawing from uh, this addiction. Um, and this would be consistent with rehabs internationally. Doctors give patients phones from 6 to 8 p.m. Now, that's 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. And that weakens uh, as part of the uh, treatment. 
Um, when patients are informed of the policy, Professor O'Gara says, there is initial panic and high anxiety. It's almost like a mini grief reaction, dealing with loss. However, after a few days, patients see it as liberating. Across the board, there is the sense of overuse of the phone. That is our clinical experience. Um, and and that's, um, that's part of what they do, um, dealing with people who present for um, internet addiction. Yeah, because we've all been in places where there's bad phone signal and you, you initially go, oh, I've no phone signal. And then the relief when you realise I can't be contacted and I can't contact anyone else. <laughs> I think yeah. there's something great. I mean, there really is something great about it. And, what, and then talk to me about the effects of uh, internet addiction. Oh, well, they, they can be very, very serious. I mean, the harmful effects on a person are both physical and emotional. Uh, one can have, well, obviously, from tip-tap-tap-tap-tipping, you can have carpal tunnel syndrome, um, uh, uh, insomnia, um, uh, weight gain or loss, and these are just some of the physical problems one may suffer as a result of an internet addiction. addiction. Yeah. Emotional effects may include depression, dishonesty, telling lies to family, whatever, um, anxiety, social isolation, aggression, and mood swings. So, I mean, you know, it's, um, it's something that can affect one um, very, very b- badly. And um, a person's ability to socialize, we talked about that last week too, a person's ability to socialize in the real world um, uh, can be significantly impaired. Um, people are just more used to pressing buttons than they are to talking to yeah, an actual it's, living person. It's, uh, and I mentioned this last week, it's my big worry for the younger generation who spend so much time communicating via their, their phones. Are they going to lose that wonderful ability to communicate and to socialise and, and to get to know somebody. Uh, one listener says on possible solutions to internet addiction, what would be Joe's views? Would hypnotherapy work for this type of addiction, does he think? Hypnotherapy? Well, no, I'd be, I'd be, I mean, I'd be totally 100% upfront and honest. I don't know. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, if a person felt that it might help, um, maybe, maybe try it. Um, I, but my, my, my honest answer is I don't know. I mean, um, I'd be more used to the kind of talk therapy yeah. and, um, you know, uh, like, uh, like Professor O'Gara was saying there, um, I suppose withdrawal um, from the, uh, well, uh, as we'd said, the substance or uh, behaviour. In this case, we're talking about a behavioural um, uh, addiction. Okay. Um, okay. And somebody else is saying, well done to uh, Joe for highlighting uh, this. It's great to raise awareness of it. People don't seem to realise how dangerous it can be. And that's what really our, our chat for the last two weeks has been all about. It's, it's about uh, raising awareness. And I suppose for yeah. all of us to, to say, OK, let, let's, let's test it out. Let's make a time over the coming days and maybe over the weekend to say, OK, for, for one day, I'm not going to look at my phone unless it rings and you need to talk to somebody. But I'm not going to go online. I'm not going to you know, scroll down through Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is you do on, on social media and just take a time out for it and, and see how you felt about taking that time out. Absolutely. And I mean, if you if you acknowledge that, I mean, that you had a, 
a headache or an anxiety or um, bad mood or anything, you you might well say, well, I wonder what's this all about. Yeah. Um, and it could be that one is addicted to their internet and phone. It's great to be aware of it, like you say, Patricia, because like awareness is curative. If we're not aware of something, we can't do anything at all about it. We can't fix it. All right, Joe, uh, pleasure as always. Enjoy the, we have another bank holiday weekend coming up, which is great. So enjoy your bank holiday <laughs> weekend. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Bye-bye. That is uh, Joe Heffernan. Joe runs a counselling practice in Boherbui. Uh, his number is 086-834-8145. And that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. And Mark Malone is in for Nick Richards this afternoon, so he'll keep you company. And we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. A very good afternoon. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.